on tape. Leadership Conference, all are encouraged. February 5th, Saturday, at the First Christian Church, I'll put information back, and it'll be in our our newsletter this week and for the next couple weeks as well. A lot of sessions. Uh, we're co-sponsoring with several of the, the churches around the lake area. Um, I think the furthest one way is probably Lebanon and Buffalo, but a lot of them are Eldon and Golden Beach and Westlake and California and in Camdenton. So, um, yeah, so it should be a, a really good experience, and I, I hope we have good attendance and, and we get something wonderful out of it, which I'm confident we will if we allow ourselves to. So, so this morning we're continuing our focus, not only being hearers of the word, but being doers, to put faith into purposeful action, to convert intention to intentionality, to take an intention and make it something intentional. This morning we're going to um, be referencing the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth and a little geographic, uh, geography lesson. Put the slide there. Paul made several travels during his, his uh, missionary trips and all around the, the sea there. And, and most of the, of the books, these, the epistles, the letters we hear about, um, Galatians is Galatia, um, Corinthians is Corinth. Uh, and, and so on, and Thessalonica, Thessalonians. And you kind of see where it went and then made his way to Rome, but a lot of it came out of Antioch, and, and uh, we won't get too much into his journeys, but I just kind of wanted you to, to get the image of, of what this place was. So Corinth is in modern-day Greece. Um, you kind of see it up there um, off the coast. But I want to give you a little more backstory, and then we're going to unpack the rest uh, together as we walk through this message. So... So Paul visited Corinth, and he spent, according to Acts 18.11, about 18 months preaching and teaching. Now, that doesn't sound like a long time, but you think about it. Jesus spent about three years, we estimate, preaching and teaching. So he spent quite a bit of time in, in, in Corinth, and he writes his first letter to the Corinthians while he was visiting Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians. And he indicates in this letter that he will return to Corinth, uh, which he does do. And the first letter, he has to use some tough love, some pretty strong language to make some points about the arrogance and divisiveness in the early church that he had helped found um, in, the, in, the, you know, in the meantime. But so he sent Titus, one of his um, cohorts, we'll call it, he sent Titus to see how things were going Corinth between visits. And he follows this with a second letter, which is 2 Corinthians, where he begins by expressing his joy and gratitude to God and to the Corinthians for the restored relationship between them based on the report he received from Titus. Titus came back and goes, look, it's, they're getting better. They're getting better. So beginning in chapter 8 in 2 Corinthians, Paul turns to the topic of generosity. And this is where we're going to pick up the story this morning. From this week's scripture, remember that, that Larry read 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this verse gets often used in regard to our tithes and offerings. There's a couple handful of verses that, that we use when it's time to, to, to pass the plate, and rightly so. But I want to dive in this a little deeper so we understand the meaning behind Paul's words. First, does anybody like me just not like being told what to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about someone giving you instructions or directions on how to do things. I'm talking about controlling you. 
I know that I struggle with my own inability. We don't raise other people's hands, Larry. That's, <laughs> we only speak for ourselves in church. <laughs> uh, and I, I know we all struggle because we want to control things or, or we hate it when things are out of our control, uh, especially those things that affect us, right? Um, so I surely resent it when I feel that someone is trying to control. If I don't get to control it, then you don't get to control it. And that's some of those things that we tend to struggle with as, as humanity. But when we look at Paul's advice on generosity and giving, there are some words that could use some explanation or translation. The New Testament is predominantly written in Greek, so you won't have to worry about my Hebrew pronunciation like I was doing at the end of last year. But the Greek word is cardia, and you can, as you can imagine, cardia means heart, heart. And that's where we get the word, you should give what you've decided in your heart, your cardia. But from the context, we know it's not just this internal organ he's speaking of. When you look at the meaning of the Greek word in context and how it's used elsewhere in scripture, you see that it means conscience, your inner self, your inclination, your your intention, okay? Think about the instruction to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. This from Deuteronomy 6, 4, 7, and it's so important that Jesus echoed it in Matthew 22, 37, when someone said, what is the greatest commandment? To love with all of your heart, Okay? Not your physical heart, but all this innermost being of yourself. Another word that appears in that verse, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Well, reluctant is from the Greek word lupe, which means sorrow or grief or pain. And compulsion is from the Greek word ananke, which means obligation or pressure. So you can see what he's saying. He's like, you shouldn't feel obligated or pressured to do this. And then he finishes it. It says, for God loves, and we know this is agape love. This is the real kind of love that we're supposed to have. Agape, God agape loves a cheerful giver. Now, this word's interesting. It's hilaros. Does that sound like another word you might know? Hilarious? Okay, so I, I'm glad it doesn't say God loves a hilarious giver because then we'd have all kinds of jokes on the offering plate. But what it means, it's so pleasurable, so pleasure-giving, so joyous. It's hilarious. That's how much joy you feel, how strong it is when you give. That's the kind of giving he wants us to give. So let's take another look at this verse as we use these other words for description. He says, each of you should give what you've decided with intention to give. Not with sorrow, or regret, or under pressure or obligation, for God perfectly loves a joyous giver. That's the message. And I'm going to tell you right now that this message is not about what you think it is. It's not about giving money or more money, um, more money like that, okay? And for me to do that would be a compulsion. So you have to be really careful when you talk about things like that, okay? This morning, we're looking at generosity, and especially from, from the view of intentionality, which is our focus for this year. This is how we are intended to give. Our time, our talents, our compassion, our love, our gifts, finances, all of that intentionally with purpose. So I've titled this morning's message Red Kettles because there is this phenomenon that happens around the holidays where people who are normally reluctant to give find themselves digging in their pocket for some loose change, right? Even children go, Mom, Dad, can I have some coins to go put in the red kettle, right? What a wonderful message that is, both to the parent and to the child. Some people give because they're asked. I'm not talking about the kettles, but certainly in general. Some people give because they're asked. Some people give because they see or experience something that reminds them to give. 
and some people seek opportunities to give. And I think the red kettles kind of check all these boxes. You know, when you have someone ringing the bell, it's kind of like they're asking, hey, would you contribute? When, when you see it, it's a reminder. Yes, it's the holiday season I should give. I should be more mindful of, of generosity. And then we can seek these opportunities because you know where they're at. What it does is it creates a strong desire to do everything we can to seek the opportunities and take advantage as being intentional, which again is our theme. So let's go back to Paul's letter. This is uh, beginning 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave us as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. This is interesting because he's, he's kind of talking to the Corinthians about what he experienced here. He said, he said some magical stuff happened. Here they were in their own severe trial. Okay? And, and here we are as a society, each individual also, we are in periods of, of, of struggle and uncertainty. And he says, and here are these people in the trial, they gave what they were able. I didn't talk about how much. He said they gave what they were able entirely on their own. And it says, and they even pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. Skipping forward to verse 7, it says, but since you excel in everything, he's talking to the Corinthians, he says, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You know, we talk about being doers of the word, and, and we can have all these wonderful things. We can be fantastic with our faith, but we've got to put it into action. We can be eloquent speakers, but if we're not using our words to share the message or the hope, we can have all the knowledge about the workings of the world, but if we don't have the knowledge about what it takes to go into the next world, then what is what good is it? So he says, and we have all these things. There's still something you lack. He says, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Verse 10, and here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. And then he issues this challenge. He says, now finish the work, right? Here's that, that part. Don't just do it and be done. He says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what one does not have. Is that encouraging? Is that encouraging? This made me think of the widow's might, right? The woman who gave all that she had. 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 9 of the second letter that Apostle Paul wrote, says, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to your Lord's people. Now, now Paul's beginning, he's, he's, a, he's a tactician. He's a smart guy. He's saying, I don't need to tell you these things because it's like saying, I'm, I'm sure I don't need to remind you, but. So he's saying, hey, you know, I don't need to tell you this, but. He says, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling that since last year, you were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred. This is meaning he's stimulated, it's motivated most of them to action. They were, they were encouraged by what they're hearing the other people, the other Christians, early Christians doing. 
And Paul, like I said, he's smart. Now, most people, they think you're about to ask him for money. They kind of build up this little shield, right? Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. So Paul was anticipating the resistance. So he's kind of setting this up. You know, he's saying, hey, you know, they've heard about what you're doing and they're motivated. They're stirred by it. They're encouraged by what you guys are doing. Now, Paul relies, relays his concern that this, that he's boasting and he's saying, don't, don't make me a liar. Okay. He said, keep up the initial enthusiasm over a sustained period. And, and that can be difficult at times. And, and it would cause them great disappointment and, and some embarrassment if they were to be empty in the promise. And I think that's why it's important. And he says, it says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion. It's intentionality. It's intentionality. He said, they should not be motivated to simply give to avoid shame, Right? Nor should we. If Paul has to beg or coerce them to contribute, it wouldn't be a testament of their love. In fact, by him even putting the words, it puts it out there that they might have only done it because he asked. And same thing from the pulpit. I, I wish there was a better way to say, it's, hey, it's time to collect our offerings. Because just by mentioning it, it might undermine what you do on your own. So one of the things I do, I don't say I love about the pandemic, but an opportunity that's created is, is our offering plates at the back. We're not passing it so people can see who put in what or all that. It's unanimous. Unanimous? Well, that, boy, that'd be great if it was unanimous, but it's anonymous. <laughs> it's anonymous. And people are giving, they're mailing their checks in and all that stuff. And that's how we're supposed to give generously and not for show. So it's given us an opportunity to do that. And then there's no coercion. There's no peer pressure. You see, all too often people give out a sense of guilt rather than from a glad heart. And Paul does not want the Corinthians to feel that this offering was somehow imposed on them. Thou shalt. Generous giving only comes when it's voluntary, not coerced. Again, he's talking about money, but I'm talking about the time you commit and share with others, your concern, your prayer life. Okay, This is, this is about being generous with everything. You see, it's one thing to, to really dog on the church about being more diligent in giving, but it's something else to motivate individuals within the church to be free and selfish with the giving. And how does one develop the individual's such a happy spirit about giving? Well, we've got to go back to, to Paul's letter. So this is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, and it's titled, at least in the NIV, it says, Generosity Encouraged. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You see, first he's using this proverb about sowing and reaping, and this is not a new thing, especially to, to a, a bunch of farmers or agrarian society, because you know that, that seeds don't come from nowhere, right? It's, it's from the crop before that the seeds come for the next season. If you don't put much out there. You're not going to get much back to plant for next season. And so obviously this is a, a metaphor too for, for what you give, the generosity you pay out, your spirituality or your evangelism. If you aren't sowing those seeds, they may not all take, but if you don't put any out there, you will have nothing collect for the next season. So we sometimes will read this and go, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and saying, yeah, you, get what you, you get what you give. And that's not the message here. It's saying there's some effort required and there's some things that, are, that have to happen in order for the next step to happen. In verse 7, it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I've read that twice already this morning. You see, Paul cites 
the scripture to encourage giving generously and freely because God loves a cheerful giver. We talked about that. A hilarious, a cheerful, a joy, a joy. And he goes on, verse eight, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll be abound in every good work as it is written. And he quotes, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. That's from Psalms 112, nine that Paul's quoting. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So first he appeals with the proverb. Second, he encourages generosity because, it, because it's, God loves it. And the third, he refers to God's readiness to provide all that is necessary for us to be generous. Paul reassures those who might worry that they do not have enough seed to sow that, that God will provide all they need. God will provide all you need. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So fourth, he maintains that their generosity will bring a great harvest of thanksgiving to God. All glory to God. You've heard me say this before. When we do something as a church and give to someone in the community, they say, oh, thank God, right? And that's what we want. Sure, we want our, the appreciation as well, but glory to God that he's given us the ability, the, the desire to do these ministries. And I'll wrap up here again, 2 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 12. It says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Wow. The benefits for giving that Paul kind of lays out is, is it's like this. It, it will make the people that give spiritually rich, right? It's an act of obedience and God recognizes it and blesses that and, and, and it brings thanksgiving to God, which is a part of our purpose in this world is to bring you know, this relationship with God and God's involvement in the world and our recognition to that and glory to him. And third, the recipients will respond with prayers for the people that gave and words of thanks. And this advances you know, this Christian community, which was really just in its early stages at this point. So we talk about intentionality. So why is giving intentionally so important? Well, Paul echoes scripture to bolster the need to give generously. Those who give spontaneously from the heart are especially prized by God. He cherishes them. In the Old Testament, giving reluctantly or under compulsion is portrayed as canceling out any benefit that you could be received the gift. Right? While a glad heart promises a reward from God. In fact, as scripture says, Deuteronomy 15, 10, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. That's not the reason we should be doing it, but it certainly is a blessing. And we've heard this before when they talk about those who, the pagans who pray out loud just to hear their own voices. It doesn't mean anything. He's saying, if you... 
if you give, but you're doing it reluctantly, if you're doing, you do it begrudgingly or, or for show, it, it really robs you of the blessed. Now, God will take your gifts and he'll use them as he needs to use them and people will be blessed and he will be blessed for that. But you're really missing out on that joy part that is so important. In fact, scripture assumes that what is critical is the attitude that one gives, not the amount, the attitude, not the amount. God you know, he knows our hearts. He can, he can see in our hearts and minds, and he, and he values these free expressions of love and generosity. Gifts given under compulsion will always be half-hearted at best. That is why the amount makes no difference if it's given with a glad heart. But if it's given resentfully with a glooming face, you know, oh, woe is me, I'm, I'm fasting, all these things you read about, then then it really cancels out the merit and the joy that you receive. And he promises when we use our resources, when we use what God has given us, because remember, it's God's to begin with, when he has given that to us and we, when we pay that forward, right? He'll, he'll give us everything we need. Maybe not everything we want, but everything we need. There's a, a pastor out of a Gateway Church in in Dallas, and he talks about um, the blessed life is the name of the book. He talks about stewardship, and and he says it this way. He goes, "It's better to have ninety percent blessed money than hundred percent cursed." Now that that's pretty harsh, but he's saying, you know, do what you're supposed to do. Be generous. It wasn't yours to begin with. Take 90% of your time for you, but make sure you're giving that percentage, whatever that is, 10 seems to be, a, you know, the tithe is the number, but, but let's take that number out of there and say whatever it is that you're, give, you're called in your heart to give of your time, a percentage of your time to God's ministry. That doesn't mean you have to be mission in a far off land. Taking care of, of a building, helping out a neighbor, that is, that is a mission. That is serving others in God's name. Even if you don't say, I'm doing this for God, we know that's what you're doing. You know, Paul's trying to teach the Corinthians about the value of money and that it, different, that it differs significantly from the value that the culture has put on it. It's not about what you can buy, right? It's about what you can do with it. Money it should be used as a service for others. Your time is something can be used as a service for others. Your energy, your gifts as a service for others. You know, because we as Christians should know contentment. Contentment with whatever it is we have, right? We, there are times of abundance and times of, of, you know, we have not. And we find contentment in that because we trust God and know he's in control. And really a lot of this, if you remember from that map, a lot of this, um, they're so close to the influence of the Romans, okay? And this is the, the fledgling stages of Christianity. So, so Paul's there preaching to the Jews about being Christian, Okay. And, and so there's a lot of, you know, counter thinking to the culture and, and religion and practices. And, and the Roman theory on, about giving was that you would give and it was, a, it was kind of a show of power, a show of, of maybe even hierarchy because you would give to someone and they couldn't repay it. So they owed you. So what they did was they spoke glorious, gloriously about you and your generosity. And that was kind of the mentality about it. And, and so for the Corinthians, this might have been hard for them to absorb that we just give and don't get a credit. We, we give and, and because we should and it, it should feel good. That might be a new way of thinking. 
And, and maybe sometimes for us, it may that be that same way because we like being acknowledged for our efforts. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But check your motive on some of the things that we do. So Paul was trying to really instill this deep theological lesson in them, which was about the real meaning of generosity. And I'm just going to wrap up here with just another piece of scripture from Matthew 25, 35 through 40. And, and you're, this is very familiar to you. This is Jesus' words. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you, right? They were with him this whole time. He's like, and, and he says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's who we're serving. It's not the, the needy down the street. It's not the, it's, it's Christ. It's the Christ in them that we're serving. And he knows and he searches our hearts. And again, he delights when we do this. So it's not let the deeds earn our salvation. It's not let the deeds prove our love. Rather is let the deeds show our love. So I'm gonna ask you two challenges this week, two questions. One is, how can you apply this awareness, this intentionality to areas of your life? Not just giving financial, obviously, which is the, the easy thing, but can you be more aware of opportunities where you're being asked for something that you can give, where you are getting a reminder of something to give, or you're just out of an expression? These are, they're all good ways to do it, but can you commit to being more aware to catching some of these opportunities? And, and, and then realize what are the red kettles in your life that serve as a reminder to be good stewards of what you've been given from God? There are things, and these are, these are put away for another 10 months now, but there's something in your life, and you're gonna see something this week that reminds you that you're called to be generous. You know, God was so generous with us that even though we continued to sin, he sent his son to reconcile us to him so we could have a personal relationship with him, so we could approach the throne, so we could have an eternity, so we can, we can claim this promise of a life and a hope beyond what we're experiencing right now. So don't miss another moment to claim that, to claim that for your life right now, to claim that blessing. You know, sometimes it's hard to give these things over, even control. And Martin Luther's one that said, it says, I've had many things in my hands that I lost. The things that I placed in the hands of God, I still possess. Let's make that our prayer. Father God, you have given us so many gifts and blessings, none the least of which is, is our health, our strength, our abilities. Lord, we're asking you to put visual reminders and, and mental nudges in our life this week of how we can be more intentional in our generosity, not just financially, but in every aspect of our Christian life. Lord, whatever that, whatever that 
is, let us respond to it. Let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let's not just make an intention. Let's not just think it's a great idea, but let's do it. Let's not be with someone in spirit in their tough time, but let's hold their hand and pray them through it. Let's not say, um, you know, I, tell me what you need, but let's go seek out what it is someone needs. Lord, let's make a difference in this world in your son's name because it is him that we serve and it's him that we represent as ambassadors in this world. Lord, despite our, our flaws and our failings, Lord, we strive to do the very best we can and we thank you for equipping us to do so. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.